Hi, I'm Jason. And I'm Paul. And this is the Hi-Fi Sci-Fi Podcast. Today we're going to be talking about Season 1, Episode 5, Where No One Has Gone Before. And this episode charts new territory for the crew, but a little bit of a retread for longtime Trekkies. Uh, Paul Abbey is joining us for this week's discussion. Thanks uh, for joining us, Abby. Absolutely. And um, this is continuing the tradition of the early season one uh, Star Trek episodes to to really just kind of redress classic uh, Trek episodes. The uh, where no man has gone before has now adopted the more uh, more t- late twentieth twenty first century mantra of where no one has gone before because, well, you know, it's the future. Gender we, neutrality. We hope it's less sexist <laughs> in the future. Yeah. Well, they get their sexism in in other ways. You know, we just watched three episodes. That... <laughs> it's still the eighties. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> And, this is not progressive. And there's, it's, we'll talk about, you know, some interesting ways the 80s creep back in there because it's, I didn't realize until we started doing this show how, how much the 80s were really present in, uh, in early TNG, but it's there. Oh boy. Um, oh, so much. <laughs> but so this episode finds us, uh, it, we kind of dive into it quickly, which I found really nice. Uh, the Enterprise is rendezvousing with a, uh, uh, another ship in the fleet, the USS Fearless. And uh, beaming over is the douchiest guy to wear a Starfleet officer I've He's great. ever seen. Uh, it starts so adversarial. I love that they just get out <laughs> so adversarial right in front of it. And yeah. it's clear that this is how the relationship is, right? There's no time wasted on maybe he's a nice guy. It's just like, nope. Nope. Here he is. Welcome aboard, Mr. Kaczynski. I'm the first officer, Commander William Riker. And this is... Where is the captain, please? He's engaged in other duties, sir. A ship's engines should be the concern of a ship's captain. They are, sir which is why they have made the first officer directly responsible for an engine's conditions and performance. Guided, of course, by one of our chief engineers, Lieutenant Commander Argyle, in this case. A pleasure to meet you, sir. I appreciated receiving the specs. To which you have no end of questions. Aye, I have. And you, sir, are listed as? As Mr. Kaczynski's assistant. Uh, my actual name is unpronounceable by humans. You're from Tau Alpha C. That's very distant. All approved and described in the Starfleet communications. Now, I would like to set up in the engine room immediately. I'll have our chief engineer show you to his engine room. No need. I know my way around starships. One thing that Kaczynski isn't hiding is bad disposition. Agreed. Also, he's arrogant, overbearing, self-important, and very sure of himself and his ability. Yeah. Yeah, and then... Then his assistant just standing there and going and smiling and nodding, basically. Like, Isn't this guy just the worst? <laughs> <laughs> you can almost see him. Like, if he had mouthed the words, help me, it would have totally fit. <laughs> because you'd be like, yeah. It would have been completely fine. Exactly. So Kaczynski is brought over to um, to do this experiment on the Enterprise. And they, they come right out and say it. The, the, the conflict is because the brightest technical minds of the Enterprise have crunched the numbers. They've run the simulations. It doesn't make any sense. And Kaczynski himself uh, speaks to this fact, the, the expert who beamed over, in, again, the douchiest way possible, um, and says, you know, well, no one, his explanation is basically, I'm a genius, deal with it, you guys couldn't possibly understand. And also his assistant is more than he appears, perhaps, as uh, when the equations are put in and the warp experiment is, is done, the Enterprise literally hurdles through space, uh, not once but twice, to, uh, to places where no one has gone before. And that's really the premise of, of the episode. It's, it's A lot of stuff happens in it, but that's basically it. And I liked that approach to it because there are a lot of season one episodes that have too much going on. And this one, I don't think has that problem. Well, and, and we just talked to, uh, I mean, the last episode, right, was one where it suffered from having ship parts and then planet parts. And I, and this one is much better for only having the ship parts. I mean, yeah. <laughs> it may be as simple as that, right? That, that they get to focus on one problem uh, in space, and it's a cool problem. Yeah, it, it is actually. And all, we did kind of f- like frame it in terms of, 
sort of a riff on or or a redo of an original series episode. This one is more of a riff on. It's not it's it is a completely different plot. It's the same central theme of like we're going to go where no one's gone before, but that's about it because what they encounter is kind of different and strange, really, and and different and strange in I think interesting ways. Um but well, Worf's the pig, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, the the central part of the episode is when they wind up in in. Uh, it's about halfway through when they try to make the trip home, and they wind up going even farther, and the traveler almost you know wipes himself out basically, and they wind up in this. Do they ever really explain what it is? But it's this. It's it's. I felt like singing the theme from uh, from Willy Wonka, where it's the realm of pure imagination. You know, uh, because that's. <laughs> Literally, like people will just wander around the corridors, and whatever they think is is happening. No, I I don't think they ever really say what it is, other than when Picard's talking to the traveler in sick bay, and he's like, "Well, I think you've kind of figured out what you're where you are now," and the audience is just kind of like, "Well, I think this is where we are," and you're left to kind of interpret as you will more than anything. Yeah, and and it's a good tool to not spell out everything that's happening. Mm-hmm. Right? It, yeah. it, you could leave some stuff up to uh, up to just imagination or leave it vague. And he has there's that also that scene before he talks to the traveler in sickbay where he's on his way there and he rounds the corner in the corridor and he has it's actually a really sweet scene with who he calls Maman. Uh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it is a nice scene. It's a weird scene. It is. It's very surreal. It um it's weird like I'm gonna bring this in and tell me what you guys think but like as I was watching it, um I had a distinct like sense of deja vu which in this case it'll be reverse deja vu because it it really smacks of the uh, Star Trek Generations scenes for Picard inside the Nexus right like it has mm. that same kind of otherworldly feel to it because the lighting is weird and it's like from behind her and it's this emphasis on family for a person who is a career you know starfleet oh, officer yeah, yeah. And, and, yeah. and like it's all of a sudden it just like it it you know it snaps in and suddenly you get this sense to to Picard that there's this whole other dimension to him that he doesn't let people see and and for me like as I was watching that I was like how weird that in like the third or fourth episode we're we're getting this, which is something they actually, I mean, they do carry that throughout throughout the series, like Picard's family and his insulation from his family, which which feels at times like a real loss for him. You look tense, Jean Luc. Come and have a cup of tea. Okay. I'll make it good and strong, the way you like it. Mama. This can't be. You've been dead, but I'm always with you. You know that. Yes, I felt that. Yeah, it's a good character piece for a lot of characters in this this episode. Yes, right. We haven't seen much about Worf, and then. I mean, Worf's pig is kind of a joke, but it's <laughs> it's something. But there's there's like a ten second cut of like Yar sees a cat, and then they cut to like Yar on a planet holding a cat. It's like ten seconds. You're like, okay, well, there's ten seconds of amazing Yar backstory that you failed to give us to this point, right? Or backstory that they included in very uncomfortable ways. <laughs> Yep. Yeah. <laughs> in uh, specifically in the naked now, because it is. However, I did wince a little bit because it's also it's a second time I believe that the word rape gang is used in her like backstory, and I was like, oh no, don't do that, please, don't do that, because she's from that colony of the lost people or whatever. Yep. Um. Well, so you guys have touched on too, and I think um you've been calling the you've been calling out the traveler. Um, yeah. And we should say the traveler is the assistant, right? Is uh, Kaczynski's yeah. assistant, um, who turns out to be somebody more important than he <laughs> originally was. And it's somebody who, um, strangely enough, too, this is another person you would think would be a one and done, right? Where it's like, oh, a weird alien guy can manipulate stuff with his mind and, and what have you. But he does, I mean, he comes back so late in the series that he's actually like, 
he's in like the third to last or fourth to last episode. Yeah, he's like a bookend. Yeah. Uh huh. Which is interesting in a lot of ways, but I he's kind of like the nicer Q, almost. That's a good way to put it. Yeah. <laughs> That's a really. Yeah. Oh yeah, I like that. I like that. He's. I, I wish. I wish they'd brought him back more often because he was. Like, I mean, I love John Delancey, but and I love Q and what they. I mean, he can be overused a little bit. But I'm like, but it would have been really cool where every once in a while the traveler just kind of shows up, even if he just kind of cameos through every once in a while like i'm still watching you wesley oh that would have been kind of awesome how cool of an episode would it have been had he shown up in an episode with q that was what i was just i was just gonna say that that would be amazing (laughs) that would be the greatest yeah yeah because q is framed as someone who has no equal right right and and this guy is close certainly yeah He's like, and and how fun would it have been? Because like the, I think both of those characters, I think the the, the gentleman who plays the traveler, and John Delancey as Q, are are both perfectly cast in those roles yeah. too. Yeah, I would agree. Um, very contrasting. And, and yeah, incredibly. That's a contrasting. good catch, Abby. That's a good catch. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm now like I'm spinning like different narrative threads where like Q gets to <laughs> pop off and call him like the the Diet Coke version of, of okay, Q let's, and like let's pause the podcast and we go write some fanfic. Right. Back a few hours. <laughs> we'll have a dramatic interpretation and reading. Yeah, exactly. That's yeah. A, that's a bonus episode. <laughs> yeah. Yep. <laughs> Abby, hopefully you'll come back. We can all take <laughs> yes, some different roles. Share. <laughs> <laughs> fanfic. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it, it is. It's it's um he's he's a really interesting character and the thing that I kept thinking <laughs> like until he finally starts talking to people and letting them know what's going on is I'm like, why is he letting Kaczynski just wander around and be a tremendous douche? Like he's not only he's not, Kaczynski's not only an unlikable character, he's also just mean to everyone up to <laughs> and including the traveler who is the real deal, who's the guy actually running the show. Mm-hmm. And and I'm the part of it that didn't work for me was me scratching my head going, what is the traveler's motivation here? Like, no, I totally get it because I think he uses Kaczynski. Kaczynski is so annoying. It takes complete precedence over what the traveler is doing. So he uh, takes everybody's attention away from him and he's able to, you know, play his little, you know, messing with the engines and yeah. making things go faster without anybody really noticing what he's doing. And the only reason and no one does notice what he's doing because they're all paying attention to. Yeah. Kaczynski, um, and even when Wes tries to bring to their attention, you know, um, I think this is kind of screwy. Uh, they just tell, you know, as usual, they tell Wes to shut, shut up. Shut up, and- Wes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, right away. <laughs> shut him down. <laughs> no, that's a good no, point. He's, he's a great lightning rod. He's yeah. a great, like, he draws attention. The, they, they talk about it later, though, too, because they ask the, the traveler this question, and he says, like, I just want to see, I want to explore. And, like, I don't have a starship, so by doing this, like, people let me on their starships. <laughs> yeah. And then we go places, and I see things, and That's I true. like that. That's so true. He's literally a traveler in that sense. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Well, and there are, um, to that point, I mean, Wesley does get shut down a couple of times, which I'm like, ha, ah, ha, ha, there Several. it is. Like, uh, over and over, I mean, I, I know... You know, I remember in Next Gen where it was a lot of adults telling Wesley to shut up. But this episode was like everyone was mad at him for everything he said. Well, can we talk about Wesley's sweater? Oh, my God, yes. <laughs> it's so Because so that was not lending him much credibility. No. 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 That, that, that was doing a character assassination job on Wesley oh. right there. Yeah. I literally have a note that says, poor Wesley and his sweaters. <laughs> and he, no, that's a good point, too. Because, like, not only in this episode, this, I mean, it's like a chain of awful oh, yeah. sweaters. Oh, it is. Oh, yeah. he never, until he's finally allowed to wear a uniform, all it is is these awful, awful sweaters. But that, that would be great to not have, like, a, a bad sweater party at Christmas, but have like a bad Wesley oh, sweater party oh, like Christmas. July or something. There's well, um, you can get the rainbow sweater on Thinking. Oh man, <laughs> yeah, you can. Yes, I'm sure you oh, can find man. this one on Etsy. Well, and and okay, so and and slight segue into into costuming design and and what have you. But this not only does the trend continue of his horrible sweaters, but do you guys remember like the end of this episode to to kind of push forward? We'll come back a little bit, but at the end of the episode, he gets his commission, right? He gets his you're an acting yeah. ensign now, you know, good on you. And there's a nice scene there, but then when that happens, they don't give him a real uniform, <laughs> like they give him that awful rainbow uniform. Rainbow, yeah. Right. Like that's so it's like, I, I mean, I, I remember seeing that and we'll we'll have it in later episodes, too. But I remember seeing that going like, 
is this just to remind him that like <laughs> to kind of put him in his place a little bit like why do they not give him something that at least kind of looks like a real Starfleet uniform and not something that someone knit for him as like an afterthought <laughs> you know like I don't, I don't know wait and I would say like oh well they didn't have Starfleet uniforms in like kid sizes but I it's also one of those things that they don't have like a they don't have like a room full of uniforms they go to the replicator exactly right? Right. to say hey make it in this size yep so there's no reason they could not have gotten yeah proper uniform and and on the subject of like shutting wesley down particularly the scene where um they're about ready to make the second jump which they believe is going to be the jump to get him back home and winds up getting you know literally to the edge of the universe um that's where wesley really like he does the right thing He's like, something's going on here. It's not Kaczynski. This traveler guy's like, I mean, we need to we need to talk to him. Like he's the and he goes to Riker, and Riker's so completely out of character, I feel like, just shuts him down. Like just oh, yeah. I mean, Riker's like the meanest to him. Uh, out of, he really is out of this episode. And I couldn't believe that. Like I because you would expect it from Picard, you would expect it from a few other people who've kind of, you know, checked him a little bit in the past, but but Riker was always kind of more buddy with him. Yeah. And it's just and a little bit more tolerant. Yeah. Yeah. It's... Well, and the amount of people that call him boy instead yeah. of Wesley. I mean, yes. it's brought up later in the episode where he goes, my name is Wesley, <laughs> yeah, I mean, which is which is always entertaining to me. To a large degree, this is a this is a Wesley episode, right? It is, it, it is right? a lot. Yeah. yeah. And it's his backstory. I mean, it's it's what makes his endgame make sense, you know, several seasons from now. Well, yeah, you, you yeah. mentioned it. This is really the start of the Wesley book end. Um, He's been in some of the other earlier episodes, but not effectively. I think this is the start of Wesley. Yeah, right? this this is yeah, where you get good. to know him. Yeah, yep. And and uh, yeah, the people who call him boy Kaczynski, obviously, because he's a jerk. But even the like the the scene too, where I get what was going on, where Wesley had that cool exchange with the traveler right after he was fatigued, and and you know he the traveler kind of like tips his hand a little bit and is talking about you know what Kaczynski really is. And, you know, he said something to the effect of he's he's come close to sensing the truth. And Wesley kind of finishes his sentence and says, you know, that time and space and thought aren't the separate things that we think they are. And, and then the traveler calls him boy. I just thought the formula you were using said something like that. Boy, don't ever say that again, especially not at your age in a world that's not ready for such. Such dangerous nonsense. Maybe maybe he just thought that was his name. Yeah. <laughs> at this point, has he introduced himself at all? So maybe he does think that's his name. Yeah. Kaczynski called him boy. He's like, that must be who he is. Careful, boy. Those are dangerous ideas. Yeah. At um, least it's consistent. I mean, I, did, I wrote down a line like, Picard still hates kids. Like, yeah. is being very consistent here. Yeah. 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 And the um, the thing that I wrote down while, while all of this was happening, because there, there's... If it runs, if it starts to run a little long in the tooth, or if it starts to run out of steam a little bit, it's towards the end of the final act when they're working towards the resolution because they're they're trying to juggle um, literally their own thoughts turning against them, right? Because they can make things real. They're trying to figure out what's wrong with the traveler, and they're trying to get back home, and they're trying to do that in the span of like fifteen minutes. That it all kind of gets a little muddly in there. And then the thing that I wrote down was like, they would all be dead, like in an instant, like literally if that happened to a real ship filled with thousands of people where anybody could think up of anything and it would become real, they'd be dead like that. I mean, it would, somebody would be like, oh God, I hope the ship doesn't explode. Boom. (laughs) Like dead, right? Because like, and that was the point they were trying to make is that, you know, we can't, we're not ready for this. We can't control our subconscious. And yet the things people dream up are like targs and ballet dances and weird box concertos. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And that one went Which on for a while. I might have been my favorite. <laughs> I think well, the violin concerto is my favorite. Because he looks, because when it disappears, he looks so sad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's even that little part where like the, the strings run out of gas and there's that sad little like meh, meh. And then, like, it yeah. pulls back and it's an empty room, and he's like, Oh, I was having so much fun. This is such a bummer. He was clearly digging oh, it. Yeah. You know, and, and it's great at making the ship feel full, which they haven't yeah, done actually. yet. They have not done that yet yeah. to this point. Made the ship feel like there were more than about 20 people on it. Yeah. And by giving these cuts of people who don't have names and you will never see them again, 
it's like, oh, well, for every one of those that you see, there's probably a hundred. Yeah. It makes the ship feel really full. And we, yeah, something that has not happened. Yeah. And there's, there's actually, I mean, and we'll, we'll get to, you know, final verdicts on this here in a little bit, but I feel like this was an episode where they actually saw quite a few more successes than failures in terms of really trying to, um, kind of make good on some of the things that they've talked about in the series but haven't really shown effectively up to this point and the big one is yeah the ship is big and it's filled with lots of people and um they're also you know uh they're really true to their explorer uh you know passions there's that really nice scene on the bridge where they before they jump to um the the final like dreamland zone but when they're in just that far-flung galaxy where picard opens it up to discussion and everybody's got a different point of view, but several people are literally debating the, well, while we're here, why don't we do some study? Why don't we do some work? And and Data makes that point, and Picard kind of jokes and says, you know, spoken like a true Starfleet graduate. But I thought it was effective because it really painted the the explorer's dilemma, which is they've got to get home, but they're also, they're here. Like, they're seeing stuff that no one has seen before and no one may ever see for decades, years, or, you know, ever. And so, mm-hmm. that which was cool. It was neat to see. And this is a trope that they come back to, right? It's a super effective trope. Um, they, they use it with Q. Um, we've mentioned Q a bunch now, but like they use this with Q to find the Borg. Um, yeah. This is a deep enough thing that um, they basically premise the entirety of Voyager off it. <laughs> yes. Right? <laughs> yeah. it is an, it, this episode is enough to drive a series. Like this, yep. this is a good idea for an episode, and it feels very much like Star Trek. Yep. Um, partly because whole series of Star Trek used this idea eventually. Yep. But yeah, it's it's. Well, it's, I think it is. It is this central conceit of Star Trek is you know going where no one has gone before. I mean, and that's that was part of TOS. It's part of TNG. It's it's the central theory is is going and seeing things that nobody else has seen. Mm-hmm, and, mm-hmm. and the drive to, to accomplish mm-hmm. that, even sometimes uh, in spite of one's own safety or, or you know, or, or their ability to get back home. Yeah, exactly. I, I did make a note about that about Voyager um, because there are a number of episodes uh, in TNG that do this, as you pointed out, Paul. And, and yeah, it was like, <laughs> I think at the time there's always that stress of like, well, are they going to get home? Are they going to get home? And then the knowledge that, you know, they will at the end. And that was maybe what made Voyager different and interesting to start was like right at the outset, they're like, they're not getting home. <laughs> like, they, they, or it's yeah. going to take them a really long over. time. Yeah. Yeah. So, well, and, and it's an interesting thought of, um, you know, at the time, these were all very singular episodes. But um, I, I think if this was being done today, it, you could almost stretch it out over a few episode arc. Right? Yeah. You could have this be an oh, yeah, arc where, and it's like, oh, maybe they're not going to get back, mm-hmm. right? In the moment, like, you stretch it over two, three episodes, maybe it is going to become another Voyager. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it adds some of that suspense, which I still think is present here, but you could up it. Yeah. Well, and you could even, it could easily be made at least into a two-parter because I swear there, I have never seen or read another fantasy sci-fi character who tells the truth as quickly as the traveler does once he goes into sick bay because i mean they wake him up and he's like okay so here's what's happening (laughs) (laughs) you got me you you win (laughs) it's like he shakes off sleeps like huh who what okay so here's what you gotta know uh yeah so here's here's all of the relevant points you need to have and this is what's (laughs) happening and here's what you need to do to get back and (laughs) yep yeah and and it's partly what makes this episode successful, right? That, like we said at the beginning, there's nothing that that Kaczynski relationship is just immediately adversarial. Like, there's no working around it. It just is. And then when the traveler wakes up, he's like, "Well, I'm not going to spend a half an hour like telling you lies or something." It's just like yeah. there it is. Yep. <laughs> they just yeah, get to things quick because that's not the important stuff. I wonder what this would have looked like, or or if they would have been able to do that if if it was popular in television to space it out because I kind of kept thinking about um, you know more contemporary shows like the Battlestar Galactica reboot where you know the new Caprica sequence which stretched over for you know not quite half a season but but almost like those stories get interesting because you spend time with it and and maybe the only thing that I thought as we wrapped the the conclusion of this episode was you know I almost wish we could have spent more time with this premise with this crew you know that 
mm-hmm. um, because I, I think there's there's a lot that they could have done rather than just get back and then high five and go we did it and on to the next thing. Yeah, I think it's the '80s though. I really think that's oh, sure. it's that's way before its time. This is very much, and especially the first season of TNG is very much of its time. And the kind of spending more time with characters, spending more time with plot points, that's a very modern television trope. That's not something they did. It was very, very episodic, Mm -hmm. you know, back then. And and, um, we wouldn't see that kind of thing until stuff like BSG and spending more time made more sense. Yep. Yeah, Yeah, you got to wrap that up in a nice little package by the end of this hour. And we depending, need to get there, get back. Exactly. Well, and oddly, oddly, it paints a picture that, like, that in the '80s in television, that viewers sort of had less of an attention span than now, um, kind of paradoxically, um, because you'd want that that wrap up. Well, it's. I think it's less of uh, the thing that really opened my eyes was I don't know if you guys have listened to uh, a podcast by Camille Nanjiani, the the X Files files, and they were talking about the time in which the X Files aired, which is actually a little bit after you know now when we're we're in the late eighties for TNG. Yeah. Um, TV was just not accessible, right? Like it was <laughs> if you did episodes that contained uh, plot points across uh, multiple episodes that span multiple weeks. Um, you know, VCR technology was available, but I mean, the joke was very few people knew how to program them. Like, it's just like appointment viewing was the order of the day. And you were there. If you if you followed a show, you had to be there and you had to see it at the time that it aired. Or you may never see that episode again. I mean, you you very literally very few people got to rewatch episodes of their favorite show until maybe a decade later when the show was off the air and in and in repeats. But even then... You know, much like today, when they repeat stuff, it's kind of machete order stuff, and they bounce around a lot, and and so you didn't have the opportunity to tell these stories, not because people didn't have the attention span, but because it was just impossible to watch it that way, unless you really yeah. said, "I'm going to devote every Saturday to to this." Man, and, that's a great uh, that's a great call out to programming a VCR as one of the things that like <laughs> kids kids these days have no nope. idea. <laughs> <laughs> and I so flashing numbers and you only get six you only get like six things you could do at a time and it's yep. like, oh man choices yep if you switch <laughs> channels that takes another line Oof. yep yep yeah it's all I, over I got uh I got this is the show that actually made me really good at programming a VCR because um the show in my or, or the station in my uh area that showed TNG also did repeat broadcasts um like overnight and they they did them like every night at like one in the morning so you could catch the new one on saturday but you could i mean they'd go back to like season one they do season two stuff they do and they just show it at 1 a.m yeah we were like blowing kids minds here right yeah yeah and literally there wasn't even a guide you had to go to the tv guide exactly and like find when it was gonna air and oh. I, I cracked the code and I did it and I programmed my VCR so I could catch every single one of those rebroadcasts and watch them, you know, on tape. And Thanks, Star Trek. Exactly. <laughs> yep. <those> VCRs. <laughs> yep. So, and, and so if it feels weird, like, again, to bring it back to this episode, yeah, yeah. If, if that feels kind of strange, um, it's because that was the reality of the time. That was that was what they were, were working with. Um, and, and the only consequence in this episode, I think, is that the last part of it feels rushed. But I think it's still effective. No, I think yeah, I, it does feel rushed, and I all, all I can think of it makes me think of Peter Pan when at the very end when they're like, "All right, everybody, think happy thoughts, <laughs> and we'll be able to fly, and everything will be great." Because yep. it, it does feel. I mean, the rest of the episode it's so funny because it does feel pretty measured until you get to the end, and they're like, "All right, we got to get back, otherwise we're running out of time." Yep. It's, at, <laughs> at the same time, though, so I'm I'm pretty quick to to call out when an episode. Uh, or a series, basically just at the end says, uh, we're going to do this thing, and, and it's basically magic. And they just solve a, a problem with magic. And that's effectively what they're doing here. Um, but they get out in front of it, and I forget the point where they actually do it, but they have Kaczynski at some point, like, basically call that out and be like, that wouldn't work. That's basically just magic or something. And they're like, well, you know, some stuff kind of looks like magic, but it's not. And yeah, that's when the traveler's in sickbay and they're starting to ask him questions. And yep. he goes, I guess it would look like magic to you. Yeah. And it was yeah. such a great call out of that, that if without a line like that, you could easily be like, oh, yeah, they just wrapped that episode quick and like solved it with magic. Um, but yeah, the traveler got a retort to that in and it didn't feel like it. Well, the, like, 
Yeah, and the thing that they I think to that point, Paul, like the thing that they successfully they sow the seed of of this idea early on, and then they're able to to pull back on it is that exchange that Wesley has with the Traveler, right? The, the, like the central theoretical sci-fi like tenant of this is that, you know, the science of the time says one thing, but but literally time, space, thought are all interwoven in ways that we don't understand, but the Traveler yep. does. Yep. And so that's how they get to they get to pull some magic because we don't understand it, but because the Traveler exists and he does what he does, there's evidence there to say, oh crap, he's onto something. Like yep. he knows what we don't know. Yeah, um, and and if and done poorly, this could be done really bad. Like it would right. feel weird. Yeah, but and they did it right. I think it's a great example of where they do it right. Yep, yep. Um, and then of course they get back, and um, you know, then then the reset, and then they're they're on. And then they their, have cake. And then and they, they have, have a cake. <laughs> 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 and the traveler, like the thing that I thought was kind of a cool exit was that the traveler, like. He literally disappears, right? Like as yeah, yeah, yeah. he phases out of existence. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And, and they leave that open, and and what's cool is that's that's an unanswered question until we see him again, which yeah. I thought was a nice point too. Like, is he still around? Did he go to the next plane? Like, what happened? Yeah. To Abby's point, I wish they would have brought him back sooner. Yes. But, yeah. Uh, I wish he would have showed up at least you know once every other season or something, just yeah. an episode here and there, scattered through. It feels like when they got to the last season, they're like, "Okay, who haven't we? Oh, Wesley. Hmm. <laughs> How should we do Wesley? Oh boy. <laughs> who has he talked to? Who has he talked to? Oh, what about that guy? Is he still around? Can we get that actor back? Yeah. <laughs> like, oh, we can. He's not done anything else. Great. Yeah. Yeah. Perfect. Um. Well, before we start wrapping it up, getting into uh, to best and worst, and uh, does anybody else have anything else specifically from the episode that uh, that they wanted to call out? I, um, I do have one thing. I, I don't know. I, I was thinking of tossing in the best and worst, but it's an observation of when they show the warp drive. <clears throat> I don't know if you noticed this. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe it's a video game thing. Not sure you played the right video games. Hope you did. Yeah. But the uh, warp core is powered by the Triforce. Yes. <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> Uh -huh. I didn't notice that, no. uh -huh. And that's pretty cool because that explains a lot. I mean, I was wondering how a warp drive would work. Power the Triforce, you know, courage, oh. wisdom, power. Now, toss it in there. Now I want to put a YouTube like <laughs> montage together of all the times that they've popped the hatch for the the dilithium core, which is where that logo is. Oh yeah. Um, and then do the do the <laughs> chest opening sound effect. Do like do, the, do 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 do. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> And Jordy found, you know, and the, yeah. there's a hook shot <laughs> in here. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> that is fantastic. Um, oh, I got the bow. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I got bombs. Crap. <laughs> um, all right. So we usually kind of conclude this with uh, with bests and worsts. And uh, Abby, since you uh, are our honored guest, uh, if you would like to go first, uh, what would you like the best? Would you like the worst about this episode? Um, I think... The I'll start with worst I guess because we'll go we'll go from less to more. Um, I think this is more of a season one issue, but I really I forgot how much I kind of dislike Picard in the first season yeah. and how humorless he is. Yep. He's just he can't take a joke and it's so upsetting to me because later on I mean I love Picard I love Patrick Stewart and I forget how absolutely just he doesn't laugh he doesn't smile and it's so upsetting <laughs> and that's not really this episode what the worst part of this episode i guess but it's one of the worst parts of it for me is just watching him be angry and sad all the time it's like they gave but... <laughs> him specific direction to just kind of be unlikable because it, it is yeah it's a really hard thing to deal with once you know him later because he's he really yeah. he becomes like a like a you know elder statesman slash you know cool relatable like grandparent almost figure um be, because he 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 really warms a lot to does to so much yeah and, and to, to some degree it, it's partly situational right this is an episode where he's having to deal with the thing that they've already established in the first episode is the thing he hates most kids right yeah <laughs> front and center um, but it is. I, I, I don't know. I'd push back a little and say it's one of the places where he grows. So he has to start out a jerk. But but I do agree with you that he is a jerk here. Yeah. yeah. And, and very humorless. It's very sad. And I, th I think just because he becomes so great, it's so difficult to see him be less great 
in this in this well, and they they give him other outs too, right? The the places where he starts to develop are, are like in the last few episodes we've seen things with Beverly. <clears throat> uh, in the second season, a lot of the things. Uh, I mean, Beverly goes away in the second season, but um, Guinan shows up, right? And that's a yeah, place yeah. where it really starts to grow. Yeah. Um, they they have that sort of relationship. So, yeah, it's weird. I would agree. It's it's, it's he gets to grow. You know, you've, <laughs> that's you've all I could on, say to it. You've touched on something too, Paul. Like I I don't think until we started doing this show, I realized how much the absence of Whoopi Goldberg's Guinan is felt. Uh, until she's not here in the first season. And it's like, you know, she was a lot. I, I think she was such an effective character and such an effective grounding force for specifically Picard that I think their relationship is one of the things that really starts to endear him to the audience because he's so comfortable around Guinan. He then becomes accessible to the fans watching because mm-hmm. he can un- he can be himself to her and not be the captain and then by extension, we get to have that experience and, as well. And which is how human relationships work, right? He might just not like a person. or right. and, and he's already said he doesn't like Wes, right? Right. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> yep. <laughs> but, <laughs> Only because he's a kid, though. I mean, it doesn't yeah. like, it's not like he dislikes yeah, he doesn't Wes like kids. He doesn't, he like, just kids doesn't like kids. I just don't <laughs> like your jerk face, you know? Yeah, it's, no, it's because he's a kid. Yeah, exactly. Well, and to some degree, I mean, um, Guinan starts to fill a role for Picard, similar to what the Traveler's doing here for Wes, right? That, yeah. That's someone who's much more powerful, um, or much more um, experienced or worldly, or however, we, however you want to paint Guinan. But um, boy, that would be a fun episode with the Traveler and Q and Guinan in it. Ooh. Oh man! Oh. Well, and Guinan hates Q. Yes, yes. I which love is that. so. Which is exactly the <laughs> yeah, which is exactly the interplay I think with the Traveler would play out, right? Yeah, that'd be awesome. That would be so cool. All right. Uh, so uh, that's yeah. So that's, that's worse. So best. Um, I think the best is the Traveler. He's he's my favorite. I love the Traveler, and I I'm so sad he doesn't show up until season seven again. Because I would spend so much more time with the Traveler. He's yeah. just super rad, and I like him a lot. Well, and I think he does a lot of good things for the episode and for Wes. And it's he's the crux of the episode. And he's it's a good character. I kind of wonder if the Traveler had been more present if fan reaction to Wesley would have been less vitriolic because um, I I find their interplay to be really like Wes is painted largely as a kid who is, you know, he's brilliant, but he's lacking in that sort of like mentor figure. Like he gets like his, his, his mother is, is obviously they have a really good relationship, but he, he's painted largely as that character who is missing his father right that like the tragic yeah. thing happened he doesn't have a father figure and other people around the ship sort of adopt that but it really works between the traveler and wes and, and i feel like if the traveler had been around more by extension wes would have probably had more interesting things to do too mm-hmm. um yeah because yeah. the traveler is just he's he's a very compelling super effective character yeah for for a lot of reasons yeah Yep. Uh, Paul, how about you? Uh, worst, best, best, worst? Hmm, which order? Um, I guess we're in the same order. Um, I think the, the worst, oddly, um, and, and to to, um, to kind of frame this too, we have made note that Netflix is now showing the HD, like, remake. I don't know what, how, what, what to call it. Like, re. Yeah, the. They, they've cleaned um, it up. It's an HD. or something. Yep. It's, yeah. Yeah. Um, so I don't, I don't know how this would have looked on an old, um, you know, Tenant CRT back in the 80s. Um, but oddly, where the CGI has really worked a lot for me in some of the earlier episodes, I think the, um, especially that trip where they like the, a lot of galaxies was past him and all of that, yeah. that CGI for me doesn't work here. Yeah. Um, and I don't know if it was because it, you know, it was kind of fuzzy before and now cleaning it up, it doesn't look good. Like, but it just felt. Um, it didn't feel right. Like it felt very, um, and I, I mean, they're they're a decade out ahead of this, but it felt very much like Stargate to a large, um, like the Stargate going through the through the Stargate. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But there was also a large component that's like, well, that's not really. I mean, galaxies don't really work that way. That's not how it would work if you're traveling those speeds. Like light does weird things. Like it, it would be better if they just. God, it would be better if they like pulled the space balls and went to plaid or something there. Right. <laughs> it just doesn't work the way they laid out that trip. Well, um, 
from right. a CGI standpoint. I think my head is here largely because we've used the word traveler and there's there's a very popular video game that's out right now that features a traveler as well. <laughs> that's um, true. But, but almost in effect, like there... Um, when you're, when you're playing the game Destiny and you go from planet to planet, there's this like light bending tunnel effect where you can't see anything, but it, mm -hmm. it imparts the feeling of speed. Mm -hmm. I think that would be totally doable with the effects technology of the time, um, but they just didn't choose to go that route. Because I noticed the same thing that like when the Enterprise is at ludicrous speed or whatever it is yep. they're <laughs> traveling at, um, it's like a clip art show of like of a galaxies. Yeah, it's like a 1990s like screensaver. Um, yeah ooh, that is a good call out <laughs> you know it's like i mean they just posted a bunch of crap and they're like i don't know they're going real fast put a, put galaxies in there put lots yeah. of them more galaxies yeah. Flying coasters. Go. Yeah. exactly and the only thing the only thing i could think about when i was i just wrote it's like it's like it wouldn't work that way sorry like it, and i'm not gonna and and the fact that i'm nitpicking um does does probably tip my hand that I really like this episode, and I'm, I'm nitpicking on small stuff at this point. Right. Unlike some of the ep other episodes, where my worst part is all of it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so the fact that this is such a small part of of the effects of one part of the episode, I think does does tell how much I, I like the episode. Yeah. But but it was weird. Yeah. And and part of that might be the effects of the '80s. Um, they just didn't think it through. It is a small piece, right? It's like a five-second shot, so it's I'm not going to ding him too much. But that that would have to be my worst. Yeah. Um, my best has got to be Wesley's sweater. Um, <laughs> no, Are you no, sure that's not worse. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. No. Um, but I do kind of want one. Um, my, my best has to be, and it's a point I harped on quite a bit before, was the fact that this is the first time the ship feels full, and the way they accomplish it is in a really subtle. Um, really well done way with these quick. Um, there's no there's no um, dialogue. So dialogue free vignettes of crew members um, that you will never see again that don't have names doing things and having personalities and having um, having this this effect happen to them um, and showing the range of people who are on the ship, but also just that there are a ton of people on the ship. Um, and that, that at the same time makes the ship feel really full and, and paints a picture that there, there's, it's not just the crew that we see. Um, but it also drives this deep, um, you know, psychological suspense uh, of, you know, there's the guy trapped in the fire and there's all this other stuff that goes on. And it's building so much more psychological suspense than, than they've done in other episodes. So Naked Now would be a great example of a place where they tried to do psychological suspense and they just didn't hit it. Yeah. Um, here they really nail it. It's, yep. it's really good um, opportunity to get backstory on the people we know and to drive a lot of this other background element of the ship with his people we don't. And mm -hmm. I think that's done perfectly here. Yeah. Um, in a way that they have completely failed at this point to, to do. Yeah. No, I agree. Yeah. Um, for for me, I guess I will follow uh, the example. I'll start with the worst. Um, yeah, the, the worst in this episode is probably, I mean, and I say worst because it's effective, but I wanted to punch Kaczynski in the face. <laughs> like, I... I it's had super a, effective. It's, yeah, it's incredibly effective. So, I, I mean... It's it's almost the best because if they want him to be you know hate like the hated character it's it's effective but I mean I he's just so bad like he's just but he's so he's so good at being bad so I almost it's kind of a cop out to say that's the worst but I really did not like that guy like a yeah. lot no and what and and at the end of the episode what happens to him because they never go back and touch <laughs> on like does he learn anything from this or and now he's out of a job he's so out of a job right. <laughs> He's the one be. thing he knew how to do has just been exposed to something that some other guy was doing magically. Do, yeah. yes. right? He has to go back and just, he's going to go back to his desk and he's going to sit there for a minute. Then he's going to take the papers that he's published that are sitting next to him. He's going to pick them up and he's just going to slowly walk over to the garbage can, drop them in, <laughs> look sadly out a window and then shut off the light and walk out. <laughs> That which, is what happened to this guy. Which the only thing that would have turned that from the worst to the best is if they had somehow put that scene together. Then it would have been the best. Yes. If I'd have been able to see Kosinski get his comeuppance, then I'd have felt much better about it. But uh, but it is it is a great when I think of other shows. Right, there's always a character that you really have to hate and that they paint it. I, I, I keep thinking of Ronnie Cox in Stargate. Right, that plays. Um, I'm forgetting his name, but there's just some villains that really hit it out of the park, and you yes. hate them so much. Yep. And this guy does. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. 
yeah well yeah exactly so that's that's the worst uh the the best i actually i earmarked this one we didn't specifically talk about it uh as the episode is wrapping there's that really nice scene on the bridge where uh picard invites wesley to sit in the chair Riker stops him and they have that little remember that rule you made wink wink nudge nudge sit here in command captain it's not allowed your orders Oh, that's true. Well, uh, I uh, can't wave them again. Only commissioned officers. It's quite all right, sir. I understand. Please don't interrupt me, Wesley. I'm sorry, sir. Any commission rank, even Ensign, that would give him authorized access to the bridge. Well, then I'll have to make him an acting Ensign. Captain's log, stardate 41263.4. For outstanding performance in the best Starfleet tradition, Wesley Crusher is made acting ensign for the duties and privileges of that rank. And whether that rank becomes permanent, Mr. Crusher, depends on you. At the earliest opportunity, your entrance application for Starfleet Academy will be tendered. Until then, you will learn this ship, every operation, every function. Commander Riker, a duty schedule for Mr. Crusher, heavy on study. Aye, sir. Meanwhile, you can sit here and learn something. It's so sweet, and for me, to Abby, to piggyback on, you know, like the point you made about Picard and how it is kind of tough to watch him early on, to me that was almost like an indication of where they're going with him because it was actually a moment where, yeah, he doesn't like kids. Yeah, he's sometimes a a, a hard ass, you know, but, but then he has this moment where it's like, you know kid you did okay all right now you can now you're now you're part of the crew now you're now you're there and i thought it was just the character moments between Riker and picard were good the character moments with wes the eager to please like yes sir sorry sir you know like that kind of stuff like (laughs) it it all worked and it was a very sweet way to just to wrap that episode i thought and it was it was a nice little you know kind of flourish almost at the end of an episode which i thought was overall very effective like i thought it was a really nice way to end it so that was that was it i was like oh wes you've done good sure people <laughs> people called you boy all day they shut you down and then at the end you were right and you got yourself a job like we're gonna get you a new sweater <laughs> <laughs> exactly only slightly better than this one yeah how do you like Congrats. this one <laughs> is there any option a rainbow <laughs> is there any option other than the rainbow sweater sorry replicators just broke you're gonna have to report yeah. for duty in this do you want a regular outfit or rainbow <laughs> Too bad. <laughs> oh, shoot. Well, okay, so then to bring it all home, is this an episode, thinking about uh, the guided tour part of our podcast, somebody that's new to TNG, is this something you would steer them towards? Yes or no? Uh, yes. Yeah. Abby, yes? Yes, absolutely. Partially because it is it is one of the season one episodes that is actually pretty enjoyable throughout um, but also because, I mean, you need that bookend with Wesley, especially if you're going to go through the whole series. You really need to meet the Traveler and that you need that to make sense. Yeah. But also it's just, it's a good episode. It's a good sci-fi adventure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. Paul? Yeah, I, I think this, I mean, even looking back, this is one of my favorite episodes. This is this feels like Star Trek um, in a really good way. And, and frankly, I mean, we've, we've said to skip a bunch. When I think about this, um, if you watch Farpoint and then you watch this, they almost flow together, um, m- well, much more organically than anything that's in there, right? Because they're painting, this is the first one that paints a picture of the ship accurately, um, not even with the crew, but also just with the capabilities of it. They've talked about this powerful starship, and then we've seen a bunch of episodes where it's like, well, and then this guy did this one thing, and the ship's completely disabled, and we're all going to die. And this is the first one where the ship actually feels like, a federation flagship um and that they're doing things and it's like yeah all the things we've talked about would work so much better as a second episode than the second third or fourth episode yeah um like if you're watching the show and you watch farpoint you watch this um i don't know that that feels like it would almost even at that point be enough to get the hooks in you yeah yeah i originally was 
a little lukewarm on this one because it had been a while since I'd seen it. But I, I am definitely in that camp too. I think now, now that I've rewatched it again, now that I, I, I mean, I was kind of amazed that, um, that this episode was the overall. This is the sixth episode, right? Yes, yeah, this yes. is episode number six. Um, because. Five. Uh, oh yeah five if you count yeah well yeah if far points right. one yeah so you've got up to this point you've got naked now Ugh. you've got code of honor no uh you've got last outpost tried but sorry and then you've got this where paul you hit it right on the head i think this should have been the follow-up to encounter yep. at far point yeah i mean this just sets in motion all of the things that i think were probably originally the promise of what this show would do um now you get to see a lot of that that in action and I'm just noticing this. I'm going back through some of our notes and um, the the viewership for this episode. Um, the the show debuted with 15.7 million viewers, which in today's television would be the greatest show in the history of shows. <laughs> uh, wow. But yeah. in, in numbers back then, it was, you know, a middling kind of a program. Um, then it drops precipitously. Like it goes to 11.5, 9.5, 8.9. And then with this one, it picks back up at, at 10.5 million viewers. And I think I think some of the things we've talked about is that dip in quality right after the pilot is noticeable and I think scared a lot of people away. Yeah. Um, and here it's like, oh, okay, this, this is actually looks like this could be a pretty good Star Trek show. So, yeah. Um, anything else before we wrap it up? Uh, otherwise, I think that's. I just yeah. I just want everyone to think about Worf petting that pig. <laughs> that's all I want to say. That's the image I want to leave our listeners with. Just it's so peaceful. He's so happy in that moment, and it he says everything really about him. <laughs> and it is. Really it's the most adorable targ that has it ever is. been. It Although I do wonder, like they, they talk about how you know if you think it, it's there. I'm like, why was Worf thinking about it? <laughs> exactly. It's like mmm, bacon. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, um, Abby, thank you so much for uh, for joining oh, us. Thank you. Yeah. yeah, super fun. This was uh, a lot of fun. Hopefully, uh, we'll have you back here before too long. I think we've got you uh, yep. in for a couple of a few episodes, episodes coming up. Yeah. Um, but until then, yeah, this has been a great discussion. Uh, until next time, I'm Jason. And I'm Paul. And this has been the Hi-Fi Sci-Fi Podcast. What is it? A Klingon Tark. My pet. From home. But when I was a child. You're telling me it's a kitty cat? Yes. I suppose you could call it that.